Well, hello and welcome everyone to worship today at Grace. We're really, really glad that you're here. You know, one of the secrets that I think we keep carefully concealed inside of us is this desire to really stand out above the crowd. It's this deep-seated desire we have to be above ordinary, to really, really get noticed or to just be really outstanding at something. Now, we might not talk about it much, we might not share it with our friends, but deep inside of us is this desire to win an award, to be recognized, to be the best at something at least once in our life. So I want us to do something today. I want us to kind of bear our narcissistic souls with one another. Would you help me out with this? You're looking a little nervous. There's no reason really to be nervous. I'm going to give you some multiple choice questions, just a couple, and I want you to answer these uh, to the person sitting next to you. Or if there's no one right by you, maybe you can kind of reach across the aisle or across the seat back or someone in front of you, but just just answer these to somebody. Are you ready? Are you getting, you get involved with this? Up at Saratoga, Greenbush, Half Moon, Latham, we're all going to be involved in this. Here we go. First question. Would you rather be extraordinarily talented or extraordinarily attractive? All right? Now, you're going to answer this to the person around you. Now, now listen, if you're silent, I guess that means you're both. Okay? But go ahead and answer that. Would you rather be extraordinarily talented or extraordinarily attractive? Go ahead. Just talk. Talk right now. Talk. Tell somebody your, your answer. How do you feel about that? There you go. All right. Good. Fantastic. Now, thank you for getting involved and sharing with someone. I have another question for you. This one's a little different. Would you rather be extraordinarily wealthy or extraordinarily intelligent? Now, I probably ought to tell you that smart people usually say money on this. I don't know if that'll affect your answer or not, but would you rather be extraordinarily intelligent or extraordinarily wealthy? Would you go ahead and answer that for someone around you? I don't know. Which would you rather be? Okay. All right. Now, thank you for doing that. Hopefully, you got to kind of meet someone around you and uh, get to talk a little bit with them. But for most of us, we feel pretty ordinary, don't we? I mean, for most of us in this room, we're just don't stand out that much. We're, we're of ordinary intelligence. There are very few people in this room who have above average intelligence. So to set this up, I want to do one more little exercise with you. This one you do on your own. In just a moment, not yet, but in just a moment, a sentence is going to appear on the screens, and it's only going to be there for about 10 seconds. So I want you to read it through one time. All right? Now, that's the rule. Don't cheat. We're in church. Don't cheat. I just want you to read this through, this sentence, one time when it appears on the screen. Okay? Go for it. There it is.
Okay? How was that? You just read it through one time, right? Now, if you're not that fast of a reader, you just automatically fail the test. That's how this works. Okay? The sentence is going to come up again in just a moment. And this time, as you read the sentence on the screens, I want you to do something. As you read it through this time, just one time, I want you to count the number of Fs, the letter F, count the number of Fs that appear in this sentence. Are you ready? Okay, here it is. Count the number of Fs. All right. Okay, I want you to raise your hand if you counted two Fs in that sentence. All right, I see a number of hands. Thank you for that. All right, how many of you, I got three when I first saw this and read this through for the first time. I saw three Fs. How many of you got three when you read it through? Well, that's a huge chunk of us. Thank you for that. All right. Anybody get four Fs up there? Okay, a number of you. Good. Excellent. All right, now you're getting into saint category now. Anybody get five? Wow. We got some saints out there who got five. All right. Did anybody count six Fs in that? Okay. There's just a few hands, very few. And finally, did anybody get seven Fs? Could I see your hand, please? Seven Fs in that. Okay. That's impressive because there's only six up there. <laughs> If you got seven, you're really special. <laughs> God bless you. All right. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put it back up there one time with the Fs highlighted and explain this because if I don't, you won't be with me for the rest of the message. So here it is one more time. You see the Fs highlighted. There are actually six of them up there. But most of us, when we read that, we get three the first time through. We usually read three F's, okay? So there it is. We're pretty ordinary. We live in ordinary homes. We drive pretty ordinary cars. Oh, you know how this works. You get a car, you think it's a special car, but you drive it off the lot, and suddenly what happens? Does this happen to you? Everybody's driving your car. You see that car everywhere. You never noticed it before, but now you realize, wow, just an ordinary car. It's everywhere. Most of us dress in ordinary clothes and stop at tip, shop at typical ordinary stores. There are some people who go to great extremes not to dress like everybody else, but most of us just look pretty ordinary. Now, I don't want to get depressing about this, but aren't you a little more normal than you thought you would be? Really? You ask a child, you know the classic question, what do you want to be when you grow up? They never look back at you and go, I'll tell you what I want to be. I want to be ordinary. That's me. I just want to be average when I grow up. Nobody ever says that. They say, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a neurosurgeon. I want to be a scientist. I want to discover a cure for cancer. I want to be president of the United States. They dream big. Somewhere along the years, we realize through life that we're just kind of a lot like most other people. Our days seem to be pretty normal, pretty average. 
I read this story about a guy named Mike, and he married his college sweetheart, Mary. And one morning, Mike got up and brushed his teeth and shaved, and then he left home and went to work. He fought the traffic. It was pretty intense. But when he got to work, he realized that he had some emails really stacked up and phone calls that needed to be made. And after a pretty routine day, Mike went home. But suddenly, when he arrived home, his wife asked him, how was your day? And he said, fine. And he said, how was your day? And she said, fine. And then Mike got a cold drink and sat down in his comfortable chair, turned on the TV and watched the game. And suddenly, without warning, his wife went to bed before he did. Mike finished the game. Then he went upstairs. But when he got into bed, he went to sleep. The end. Have you ever heard a more boring sermon story in a sermon in all your life? But you know, I tried to add some suspense to it. I tried to spice it up by saying, but, or suddenly, without warning, but you just can't spice up that story a lot. Why? Because it's normal. And most of us recognize that to be our typical kind of day. As I've shared before, I went to seminary for a number of years in Louisville, Kentucky, and earned a couple of advanced degrees there. Had a great number of years in Louisville. And I, I preached a lot around in churches all around Indiana and Ohio and Kentucky. And do you know that there is a town, it's really true, there's a town two hours east of Louisville called Ordinary, Kentucky. There's actually two towns in America named Ordinary. One is in Kentucky, one in Virginia. Now, I don't know what it would be like to live in Ordinary, Kentucky, or Virginia, but I do know that most people I know feel like residents of Ordinary. And if that's you today, here's the good news from God's Word in Acts chapter 4. God does His best work through ordinary people who are inspired with courage by the Holy Spirit. In just a moment, we're going to start reading in Acts 4, verse 1. So if you have a Bible, grab it right now. Get ready, however you read Scripture on your portable device or whatever. But what we're going to see here is that these temple leaders, these Jewish leaders, after observing Peter and John, you know what conclusion they came to? These are just ordinary, average guys. But they were impressed because of the extraordinary things they were doing. And it's kind of hard to escape that conclusion if you were looking at Peter and John. I mean, Peter's just a fisherman. There were a lot of people around Galilee who did that to earn a living. He had a way of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. He had no special training. He wasn't a Rhodes Scholar or anything. Just an ordinary guy. And John? He's just as ordinary. He's got a brother named James. They're in the family fishing business together. Apparently, they had quite a temper. They were called sons of thunder because of their temper. He had no rabbinical training, no special degrees, no special anything that would make him qualified to be a disciple of Jesus that stood out at all. He's just a fisherman with a short fuse. There's nothing more ordinary 
than that. And yet these teachers of the law, they examine them, they recognize, although these are just ordinary guys, they've got extraordinary courage. And look at what verse 13 says. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So these ordinary men, filled with the Holy Spirit, were able to live extraordinary lives. And brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, church next is going to be filled with ordinary people who do extraordinary things because they're inspired with courage by the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about that a little bit today in this series called Church Next. Last week, we saw how that God used Peter and John to bring healing to a cripple outside of the temple gate. But this week, we see the rest of that story. Let's pick it up here as I read from verse 1. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000, as we've said a couple of times, if you add the women, the children, the full body of Christ to that, you're probably looking over 20,000 people, and that is a full 20% of the population of Jerusalem in that day. So what can we declare about these ordinary men whose lives were so extraordinary because they were inspired by the Holy Spirit? I want to make three declarations today. And I think the application to our lives will be pretty clear as we go through it. First of all, these ordinary men had the courage to proclaim Jesus. Now, that wasn't easy. Verse 1 said, these temple leaders, these are some of the same people, by the way, who had been so hostile to Jesus. They came up to them, and verse 3 says, they seized them. The Greek language here is aggressive. They were coming on with hostility. Psychologists say that when we get in situations like that, our body goes into what is often called a fight or flight mode. Your pupils dilate, you can see more clearly, your heart rate increases, your breathing intensifies, you have a diminished sense of pain and an increased sense of awareness of things around you. And in that moment, when your palms are sweaty and your mouth is dry and your heart is racing, that's the moment when your courage is really tested. And that's what's happening here. Now, who are these guys who are challenging Peter and John? It says they were the Sadducees. What is that? That was one of four major sects within Judaism these are groupings of people, and the Sadducees did not believe in angels and demons, so they weren't really big on supernatural, the supernatural, nor did they believe in the resurrection of the dead or eternal life, okay? 
So the message that Peter and John is preaching about this hope in Christ who is raised from the dead and is going to raise our mortal bodies one day, that just wasn't flying with them. And yet, how could Peter and John be so convincing with the people of Jerusalem? Why was their message so effective? Here's what I've come to believe. There's something special when ordinary people are inspired with courage. In fact, their word, their testimony is even more believable than someone who is extraordinarily gifted because people see them as one of them and it really makes an impact. Here's an example of this. Do you know who this person is on the screen? Have you ever seen her before? Oh, yeah. You recognize her as Flo. Almost everybody knows Flo these days, this fictional salesperson character. Since 2008, she's appeared in over 100 different commercials for progressive corporations. And she is an advertising giant, let me tell you. Her real name is Stephanie Courtney. And she has a massive social media fan base with her retro hairdo and her starch white uniform and her extreme enthusiasm. She just wants to be helpful. Now, let me me ask you. When Progressive wanted to sell more insurance, why didn't they hire a super sexy supermodel? No, they didn't. They hired Flo. They hired Flo. And she can be quite annoying, in my opinion, but she is definitely ordinary. And since 2008, their sales have soared. We've all seen the power because we've all been influenced in our lives by ordinary people. Isn't that true? Maybe it was a little league coach who used to pray before the games, and that was so unusual, but it impacted you. Maybe it's a neighbor who came over and invited you to church to a special event that was going on, and God used that to intervene and change your life. Maybe it's a friend or a coworker who shared her testimony with you. We've all been influenced by ordinary folks. I want to tell you, in the little church where I grew up, In Leoma, Tennessee, every single person was ordinary. The pastor worked at a bicycle factory. That's how he earned a living, just got a little stipend from the church. He had a high school education, just an ordinary guy who loved Jesus. All of my Sunday school teachers and youth leaders, none of them had been to college, just kind of ordinary, average people for the area. Nobody had any special training. Nobody had any special awards or degrees or anything. Just ordinary people. And yet, all of my early discipleship and training was deeply impacted and shaped by these ordinary people. They just were not ashamed of the gospel. Paul says to Timothy, so do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. And that's a message that we really need to hear. Now, most of us have heard that Francis of Assisi supposedly said, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words, right? And we we really love that saying. We love it because at its best, it highlights the importance of a good example, right? And so bravo, 
St. Francis, respect the guy who came to be called St. Francis and the way he lived his life and so many great things he did. Love it, love it, love it. But folks who think they're going to be a great witness for Jesus and never say anything about Jesus, that's a little bit wimpy. Let's be, let's be real about it. We wait for people to walk up to us and go, you know what, I've been watching your life and I just want to know what can I do to be saved? You can keep waiting and waiting and that's probably never going to happen because there's a content to the gospel that needs to be shared and many times that takes courage because you never know how people are going to respond. They may be accepting, they may be affirming, or they may be apathetic or hostile. But as Peter and John share here, not knowing the outcome, many lives are changed. We read on here and we find that Peter and John were actually thrown into prison. Let me read on. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is and Peter now is quoting Old Testament scripture. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, where there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Have you ever noticed that there's some places where it's easy to be courageous in your witness? We're in one of them right now. Oh, it's easy to be courageous when you're in church, when you're surrounded by people, most of whom believe pretty much like you do. But boy, when you're on the spot like this, when you're facing hostile crowds and hostile reaction, courage often doesn't come easily. Maybe you're sitting at the Thanksgiving table and a bunch of your relatives are there and they know that you're a Christ follower they know that you're one of those unusual people who's a Christian, and your heart pounds as you volunteer to say the prayer before the meal. Or it's break time at work, and you've got a few minutes just to relax and sip your coffee, but you know what? You crack out your Bible, but you're actually shaking a little bit because you know your coworkers in a very politically correct environment are just walking by and they're looking and you wonder, you wonder what all of that might lead to. Or you're sitting in class and the teacher explains how that there is no God and that the world came about through, through a purely naturalistic evolutionary process with no God involved anywhere ever at all. And your hand feels like a lead weight 100 pounds as you lift it into the sky. Or you're at, the, you're at the Christmas party with your neighbors, and one of your neighbors is 
loudly after a couple of glasses of wine, lamenting the fact that there are actually some stupid people out there who actually let their, their religious beliefs affect the way they view the culture and politics and life in this world. And your my, mouth goes dry as you clear your throat to speak up. We've all been there. And there are places where it really takes courage to speak boldly. But Peter and John, these ordinary guys, did that because they were inspired with courage by the Holy Spirit. A second declaration I just want to make here is that these ordinary men had the courage to confront the leaders of the temple. They really put it on the line. They kicked it up a notch when Peter said here, this is the one you crucified. It's one thing just to talk about God in general. It's another thing to say, hey, let's talk about you and where you are in your life. And then he really laid it on the line when he said, look, there's no other way. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. That, my friends, took courage. We read on here in verse 15, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they ask. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they've done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all. In the name of Jesus... But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And by the way, if you want a great passage to kind of be a theological basis for times when you might practice civil disobedience, this would be one of those passages where Peter and John concluded, listen, I, I know the law and I respect it, but this actually supersedes the law. And so we respectfully must disagree. Several years ago, my family and I visited Hershey, Pennsylvania for the first time, and it's the only time I've been there. Would love to go back. But you may know that Hershey, Pennsylvania is where Hershey chocolate is made, Right? And so when you get to Hershey, man, it's all about the chocolate. I mean, you check in a hotel, they give you a chocolate bar. Uh, you, you eat out at a restaurant, they give you these little chocolate pieces at the end. Or if the, uh, someone in the hotel is making up your room, they put these little Hershey's kisses on your bed, Right? Even taxi drivers, as they shuttle people here and there, they talk about chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. You remember that scene from Forrest Gump about shrimp? You know, I know everything there is to know about the shrimp in business, you know. Well, th th that's what it's like in Hershey, except it's the chocolate version of that. You'll learn more than you ever wanted to know. I've got a question for you. Wouldn't it kind of be cool, instead of being immersed in shrimp or chocolate, when people came to the Capital District, wouldn't it be cool if God's people all over, not just from Grace, but from all the other amazing churches, wouldn't it be cool if it was just all about Jesus? 
And we just winsomely just shared the love of Christ in such a powerful way that people had to take notice. That's what's happening here in Jerusalem. And the Sanhedrin, they don't know what to do about it. And so we read on in verse 21, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. There's one more thing I want you to notice as we draw to a close today, and that is acts of compassion gave credibility to their courageous acts. Or to put it differently, because of their, what they'd done for the crippled man in Acts 3, they were able to speak boldly in Acts 4. Friends, please hear me today. Until you reach out, it's really difficult to speak out. Until you reach out with compassion, it's really difficult to speak out with boldness. And until people know your love, your genuine love for people, not just in the church, but outside, you'll have a hard time boldly proclaiming the truth. I've been moved this week as we've been getting back these incidents, these reports of what was done with some of the kingdom assignment money last week. I just want to share a couple of these, and I encourage you to keep these coming in. There's going to be so many amazing stories, and it's so early here in the game. People haven't had a lot of time yet, but I just want to read you a couple of these. This is from Colette Scott. How did you feel when you first understood what this kingdom assignment was about? Well, I felt like God had sent me to the right church, she writes. And I was sitting exactly where I needed to be. You see, I moved from the Philadelphia area to Albany two weeks ago and started a new job. I lived in New Jersey and attended Fellowship Alliance Chapel, FAC as we called it. Leaving my home church was very difficult. I came to know many wonderful people at FAC, volunteered in several capacities, participated in small groups and women's activities, but most importantly, grew spiritually and continued my journey in knowing Christ as my Lord and Savior. A friend of mine, a friend of a friend rather, suggested I attend Grace Fellowship Church in Latham. So I did last week and received an envelope with a $100 bill in it to use to help others. What a sermon! I enjoyed it very much and was blown away with the envelope giveaway. What made it even more special was the gentleman in front of me handed me another $100 bill and said he would match it. Sadly, she writes, I didn't get his name. Although due to my move, I had $100 bill in my wallet left over from paying my movers, which I also added to the envelope. What are the chances, she writes, of me attending on that day, sitting in that seat, getting an envelope, receiving a match donation within a minute, and then having $100 bill in my own wallet? It was truly a God-guided day. So how'd you decide to use the money? She writes, I immediately thought of preparing a meal or dinner for families at Ronald McDonald House. The gentleman in front of me thought it was a terrific idea and mentioned that he skates in a tournament annually to raise money for Ronald McDonald House. I've experienced volunteering to prepare meals at RMH in Philadelphia, and my former company was a huge supporter every Christmas providing toys for the children. And then she writes on, how did you use the money? Well, that's still to come. 
By volunteering to provide dinner for 45 to 50 people, we will help ensure all families staying at the house will have a meal to come home to after a long day at the hospital. Albany Ronald McDonald House has a need the week of Christmas to prepare dinners. So I volunteered a group of family and friends to shop for, to cook, to serve, and clean up dinner on December the 27th. And with the extra funds collected, we will donate toys to the children and their siblings. Wow, what a great story, huh? Yeah, that's awesome. Acts of compassion done with the love of Jesus. Let me just read one more story for you today. There's so many of them that have already come in. Betty Sanuchin writes, Fortunately, I did not get an orange envelope, but I decided right away that I would do this anyway. You remember we gave the challenge? Maybe, maybe you have $100 of your own. In my early walk, I always felt this way. I would ask the Lord every day to put someone in my path for me to talk to coincidentally. I ran into a woman I know casually, Brittany. Her husband had left her with two small children. She's a stay-at-home mom, no family in the area, and is moving to South Carolina to her mother's. She told me she needed $300 for travel expenses, but was short $120. I felt the Holy Spirit nudging me to do this. I told her I was going to the ATM and would be back. I withdrew $140, took it back to her, and told her, when I told her what I was doing, she turned snow white, started crying, and waving her arms. She told me her heart was beating so fast she couldn't talk. I actually thought she might pass out. I said, you're in a tough place. And I hope if my daughter were in a situation like this, someone would help her. She hugged me and told me no one had ever done anything like this for her. I left knowing that my prayer had been answered. But when I laid my head on my pillow last night, I realized I had made one mistake. I knew her name. That's powerful. And stories of compassion like these and many, many others that are done in Jesus' name open up the door for us to speak boldly on behalf of Jesus. Usually, we have to earn the right to speak into people's lives. Well, after their release, guess what? Peter and John go right back to the church, and they're all praying together this powerful prayer. Look at it in verse 29. Now, Lord... Consider their threat. This is their prayer. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Do you know why I'm so impressed with that? That even in the face of open hostility, they didn't pray for their safety, they didn't pray for their security. They didn't pray for this big old shelter from the world out there. No. They just prayed that they would have the boldness to represent Jesus well. Verse 31 reads, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Let me ask you as I close today. Do you feel a little bit 
ordinary sometimes? Do you ever wish that, wow, you could just be a part of something great, that you could just kind of come above that line that says normal or ordinary on the chart? And yet every day it just feels like you're living in ordinary New York. The message today is good news for all of us ordinary people. God does his best work through ordinary people inspired with courage by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, these stories light me up. Not just the stories of kingdom assignment, compassion done in your name this week, but these incredible stories from your word about how your earliest disciples in Jerusalem represented you so courageously. That's what we want. Lord, although we are rather ordinary, most of us, I pray that we would live extraordinary lives because we are filled with courage from the Holy Spirit. And may it be seen this very week as we go about our jobs, live in our homes, interact with our families and friends. Use us to make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen.